don't lose sight of Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you, be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the happiest time, happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call. It's the happiest season of all. There'll be parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of the Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And yet, so many of us are fighting the temptation to grow weary because we didn't accomplish a goal or two for 2017. I know, it's that reflective moment in this time of the year. Here we are at the brink of a new calendar year, having safely already entered into the new Christian year with the dawn of Advent, yet we are at times melancholic about the things we cannot change. So, what does the birth of the Christ child mean in the midst of all of this? On this first Sunday after Christmas, let us remember the meaning of this season. In today's gospel, we find such a reminder. We find three reasons why we must not lose sight of Christmas. The presentation, the proclamation, and our preparation. You see, the presentation here in the religious community where Joseph brings his family to the leaders for the purpose of dedicating his son, Mary's baby, to God while the entire community beholds the sight of little Jesus. And as custom would have it, their sacrificial gift for the occasion is two turtle doves. As jolly as it sounds, in the song which marks the 12 days of Christmas, there is nothing exceptional about two baby pigeons in the midst of today's Christians let alone a cosmopolitan city such as New York. Rarely do we even find people remembering the 12 days, as in some cultures, and it seems the song has even receded into the background. Today, let us remember the 12 days of Christmas, also known as 12 Tide, is a Christian festive celebration that again continues to mark the nativity of Jesus Christ. 12 Tide starts on Christmas Day, December 25th, and finishes on the evening of January 5th. The 12 days are, of course, now famous as the song would proclaim about presenting presents to one's true love. Or more, it tells us about the recipient of those 12 gifts, telling us what my true love gave to me. Well, it's day seven of our 12 days, so let us not lose sight of Christmas. The 12 days have been celebrated in Europe since before the Middle Ages. Big, big times and moments of celebrations, feast days for a saint or different celebrations, going all the way to Epiphany Eve. In many countries, it's traditional to put the figures of the wise men, the three kings, into the nativity scene on Epiphany Eve, ready to celebrate the Epiphany on January 6th. Unlike where I grew up, 
in the South, it's also traditional to take your Christmas decorations down following the 12th night. Instead, where I grew up, the Christmas decorations came down on the day after Christmas. Yes, I would love to go and see all the lights in the other communities after our decorations came down. I wish we were mindful of the 12th night, but that wasn't a part of my tradition growing up. But the continuing celebration with people holding large parties is something to enjoy. During these parties, often it was interesting to note that the roles in society were reversed in such a way that the servants were being served by the rich. I could have used a dose of that growing up. Coming from modest means, this would have been an exciting thing alone, but I'm happy to know that now more people are at least keeping their decorations up a little longer. Maybe it's because they really celebrate the 12 days. Let's, I don't know, let's wonder. But Twelfth Night is also the name of that famous play some of you may be familiar with by William Shakespeare. But indeed, Mary and Joseph have been through a great deal of angst, stress, and physical toil up to this point. I can't imagine it was all joyful and celebrating. I imagine the emotional and psychological drain on these new parents was beyond belief, not simply from the time they waited for the arrival of Jesus, but all they had to endure to follow the law of the Lord. These two parents are within the first 40 days of their baby's life. They have journeyed from Nazareth to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, back to Jerusalem, all the while having to hold fast to their baby, this precious gift from God, a crying baby, a hungry baby, a nursing baby, a needing to change a diaper baby, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, back to Jerusalem, <sighs> traveling with an infant isn't easy. You all don't have to say it. I'll put an amen right there. Even when we would rather dress it up, the two turtle doves still represented the poverty in which Joseph and Mary lived. Even with a child who signified tremendous promise in their care, not simply for them, but for an entire people. Yes, this sweet little baby boy was indeed a gift to the world. As they bring him according to the law of the Lord, they offer two turtle doves because they cannot afford a lamb. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph relying upon CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program? That's right, a federal and state program that was created two decades ago to ensure that children whose parents don't have a lot of money yet make too much money to qualify for Medicaid can still get health care at no cost. Though 9 million children across the United States today get their health insurance through CHIP, the program expired on September 30th and funding was extended until March. Yes, even so, even so close to Christmas, the lives of children continue to hang in the balance. Don't lose sight of Christmas. For children all over this country and in the world need us. Please, don't lose sight of Christmas. Imagine Mary and Joseph traveling with their crying baby, their hungering baby, their nursing baby, the needing a diaper change baby. 
And after the presentation of Jesus in the temple, we find our second point in the proclamation by Simeon and Anna. I'm thankful that we can count on Luke to remember the women in the life of Jesus, even as a baby. Here he was, the infant, approximately mm, a month and a half or 40 days or so, being dedicated to God in the temple, as was their custom. In the midst of the ceremony, we have these elders exclaiming the majesty of the poor family's child, seemingly prophesying over his life. It's not a simple prophecy that Simeon and Anna give, but more of a proclamation. Let's be clear today, church. Simeon speaks to God about the privilege of having his life's wish fulfilled. As spiritual and insightful as he may have been, his words may appear somewhat selfish. It is the prophet Anna's proclamation that goes out into the world. Yes, the one who stayed in the temple, fasting and praying night and day. If we were to fast forward this story, doesn't it remind you of the story in the upper room? Hmm. A similar scenario takes place when the men, noted disciples of Jesus now, are locked up in a room waiting for someone to give them permission to come out of, come out of the room after the resurrection. And yet it was the agency of the women who went to the temple who learned of the resurrection and went to tell others with great zeal they were the first evangelists, or so we like to say. However, I would venture to challenge their witness by the proclamation of the prophet Anna. In this story in the temple, which appears during the infant dedication of, yes, the baby Messiah, Jesus the Lord, Anna is excited to share with all who are seeking redemption for Jerusalem. There is something to the notion of two elderly people witnessing to the Christ child's future and present status. Isn't it interesting how Luke juxtaposes the elderly and the frail even with the young and the newborn? The elderly, not the temple elite or Roman leadership, as some would put it, but the elderly in the community, those wise sages. They are there to declare a special word. You see, the name of this baby was, yes, an attention getter all by itself. It is a Greek version of Joshua, God saves, just as Anna's name in the Greek is Hannah. And yes, we remember the boy Samuel as Hannah and Elkanah de dedicated their son to the temple of the Lord and left him to the elder priests to live out his life before the Lord. Yes, just as Hannah and Elkanah were blessed in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, Simeon's words offer Mary and Joseph a special blessing from the Lord as he addresses Mary, the mother of Jesus. Anna plays her unique and distinctive role in her proclamation. She told all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, as the text reminds us, today how many of our elders look to give a word of blessing or encouragement to new families, parents, and children alike. And then conversely, how many new parents are willing to listen to the elders as they receive prophetic utterances to bless their child's life and development in the faith? You see, it goes both ways, church. We need to hear from our elders. Yes, and those who are a little younger, 
need to be quiet and listen to the messages from our elders. Here was Jesus, born in a stable, yet blessed to be Savior of the world. Don't lose sight of Christmas. After the presentation and the proclamation, next comes our preparation. You see, all the other things happen before or to us, and now it's our time to respond. You see, even though we see the commitment Mary and Joseph had to their religious life and the rituals of the faith, this cost them the very resources needed for survival. When all the rituals and ceremonial happenings have taken place, these two parents of a newborn child must return home. In returning home, they are again reminded of the realities of their lack. They are reminded of their poverty. While the prophecy has been declared, they must live with a new expectancy and confidence that God is truly with them. As Shelley Copeland says, in the context of the capitalism of our generation, it is hard to accept the idea of being blessed, but not prosperous. Today, we must realize there are religious and social expectations of a life lived in the church. The hope is for the faithful and committed disciples among us to confess there is still this painful reality. New life and future possibilities were wrapped up in the baby Jesus as his parents held him in their arms, and yet they were blessed. How do we as a community of faith, a religious community, look to be a blessing to the young parents, to the poor, the oppressed, the disenfranchised among us? It is not enough to stand in the time of the ritual of baptism as a community of faith and pledge to do all we can to support the infant being baptized in our presence verbally with no quantifiable action undergirding our words. Lip service is not enough. Copeland goes on to say, as people of faith in a privileged nation, we have an obligation to care for poor families in tangible ways so they can raise their children with limited burdens. Perhaps this text is pleading with those of us in this generation to create a more just society for the children who come into the world through parents of limited means. Hmm. Pastor Rignall of the United Methodist Church out in California says, I find this poem the most eloquent way to convey what Christians need to do when the Christmas season comes to an end. This poem is one by Howard Thurman, one of my favorites. Prophetic, poet, pastor, mystic, even great philosopher Howard Thurman. As I think about our role in the church, one of his poems for me makes clear the work of Christians during this time, as Rignall says. Thurman writes, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, 
to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers and sisters, to make music in the heart. So church, don't lose sight of Christmas, for indeed now our work begins. As we reflect upon the 12 days of Christmas, remembering we're only at day seven, simply gives us more time to work the faith, more time to work the peace, more time to spread the hope, more time to share the joy that Jesus has brought into the world. So whatever you do on this last day of 2017, remember, it is not the last day of Christmas. In all the revelry about New York City, please don't lose sight of Christmas.